Hi everyone, welcome to the Sacred Musings podcast with me, Phil Saker. The aim of the game here is to try and understand what is happening in the world from a Christian perspective, to see what light the Bible can shed on these troubled times that we're going through. We've been focusing a lot on the lockdowns, but also on lots of other issues which are affecting society at the moment. I do hope that you enjoy it. Don't forget to subscribe if you like it. And you can also sign up on Telegram, t.me forward slash philsaker, and the link will be in the show notes, where there will also be links to the articles and things mentioned in the podcast, anything that's relevant. Now, on with the podcast. Hi everyone, welcome to Sacred Musings with me, Phil Saker. We're on episode 10 today, so we're into double figures. Thanks to everyone who stuck with me through the last 10. Well done for bearing with me. Um, I appreciate this is probably not the most exciting podcast to listen to, but I hope that it's informative and just helps you to, you know, perhaps think about things from a biblical perspective. Um, Today we're going to be looking at C.S. Lewis. We're going to be focusing on his astonishing um, piece from 1958, Is Progress Possible? And I'll, I'll tell you more about that in a minute but I think the insight the foresight uh, you know prescience of this man is incredible you know he could see things happening um, decades before that you know they really came he could sort of see the currents in society that were going on I think um, C.S. Lewis and Francis Schaeffer are two men who really uh, influenced my thinking a lot and I I think they were very you know prophetic in the sense that they could see what was happening and they could you know apply um, you know, common sense to it in the Bible and, uh, yeah, see where things were going. There's just one thing I'd like to do before we get to that, and, and that is this, that um, the other day, um, the vicar here in our church, and um, as you may know, I am ordained, but I'm not actually the vicar of a church, I'm kind of just the assistant priest, if you like, um, and, um, yeah, the, um, uh, my vicar uh, watched some of my videos, and he, he's um, watched a few of them before, and he just, you know, wrote down some questions and things uh, for me and, uh, you know, some disagreements, because we haven't really seen eye to eye on all of the um, the stuff that's been going on with, with lockdowns. Um, although it was encouraging, because I think there are some things, actually, that we do agree on. But I just wanted to say that, you know, I don't want, when I do these videos... I don't want to be coming across as being six feet above contradiction. And I'd hate anyone to think that I was trying to to give the Christian view on on anything or that there may not be other perspectives available. But I'm trying to read the Bible and to try and analyse what's happening from a Christian perspective. And I hope that as we dialogue together, that we could, you know, we can actually come to a, a, you know, closer, if not a common mind, you know, come to a closer understanding. And I'd hate for this channel to become an echo chamber, just to become a place where like-minded people can slap each other on the back for agreeing with each other, because that's not how, how this should work. And I think part of the problem over the last few um, few months has been that this, you know, my kind of side, if you like, of the, the debate, we just haven't really been represented in any, in the mainstream at all. And, um, you know, it would be kind of made to feel very much on the margins as conspiracy theorists or whatever else it may be as portrayed as that. And I think that's been very unhelpful, actually, for debate, because I think there is a real... Um, biblical case to answer and I think it's it's really important that we be looking at these kind of issues so what I would say is if you're here and you do uh, you know you you don't agree with everything I say then you know do do feel free I'm not here to to kind of tell you this is how to think I'm trying to persuade you that this is what I believe the bible is saying 
Um, but that doesn't mean that I'm not open to, to hearing other perspectives. And actually, very often, I think, you know, hearing things from an alternative perspective can just help you to grow and clarify in your own thinking um, what it is that you believe. And so really, what, what I want to say to everyone is just this, just don't take what I say as gospel truth. You know, do not take what I say as gospel. In fact, don't take what any human being says as gospel truth. You know, pray, think, read the Bible in the, the help of the Holy Spirit. Pray and, you know, um, look at the look at the facts, look at the data and ask for God's help in understanding and in, in getting to the truth. And that is the way that God is the truth. You know, the, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He will lead us into the truth. And it's it's that way. And very often it's through dialoguing that we can actually gain um, a better understanding. So that's really what I wanted to say. Um, thanks for listening to this uh, this little bit. And um, yeah, on with on with the, the podcast looking at C.S. Lewis. By the way, I have had a bit of a cold for um, the last couple of days, so I do apologise if um, you can hear that in my throat. Um, not much I can do about it, I'm afraid. So I hope that this just sort of comes across um, fairly clearly. So, um, yeah, I've got a, a slideshow once again that we're going to look at with a text. Um, this is... Um, I'm, I'm going to include quite most of the, the piece. It's not very long, um, and I think all of it is worth thinking about. So we're going to do a bit more of a sort of deep dive into, into it. And then after this, we're just going to finish with a brief thought from the Bible, particularly relating to what's happening with uh, COP26. Um, so let me get the slideshow up. Okay, this is Is Progress Possible by C.S. Lewis, and it was written in 1958. And this is just the, the introduction to it. This is not part of the essay, but let me just read you the context of it. Um, this is published in, uh, in the book God in the Dock, by the way. From the French Revolution to the outbreak of the First World War in 1914, it was generally assumed that progress in human affairs was not only possible, but inevitable. Since then, two terrible wars and the discovery of the hydrogen bomb have made men question this confident assumption. The Observer invited five well-known writers to give their answers to the following questions. Is man progressing today? Is progress even possible? This second article in the series is a reply to the opening article by C.P. Snow, Man in Society, The Observer, 13th of, 13th of July 1958. So this is a, um, yeah, written in 1958, bearing in mind you know, over 60 years ago that this was published. Okay, so this is, uh, this is how it begins. Progress means movement in a desired direction, and we do not all desire the same things for our species. In Possible Worlds, Professor Haldane predicted, uh, pictured a future in which man, foreseeing that Earth would soon be uninhabitable, adapted himself for migration to Venus by drastically modifying his physiology and abandoning justice, pity and happiness. The desire here is for mere survival. Now, I care far more how humanity lives than how long. Progress, for me, means increasing goodness and happiness of individual lives. For the species, as for each man, mere longevity seems to me a contemptible ideal. Now, I think this starts out in a fascinating way, which is, what is progress? You know, because in order to, to, um, 
to have an idea of progress, you have to have an idea of what progress actually is, of what's good and what's better. And um, there's a lovely quote actually, which um, from one of the Narnia books, which um, where um, one of the characters says, "Progress, ah, I've seen them both in an egg. Uh, we call it going bad in Narnia." And um, and that's you know the idea that progress actually you can go from bad to worse, or you can go from good to worse, um, as well as going from bad to good. So progress does not necessarily imply things getting better. And he mentions longevity, mere longevity. You know, is the idea that our lives should get longer and longer at any expense a good ideal? Is that progress? And his, he says that that's, that's not, in his book, that that is not actually progress. And it actually made me think of the slogan, you know, stay at home, protect the NHS, save lives. I think, well, that's instantly saying saving lives is a goal which is worthy of staying at home for and of not even seeing your you know, your nearest and dearest, not even worshipping at church, not even opening your business, all of those things. Saving lives is the thing which everything else must bow to. And, um, yeah, there was a, a lot in that, I think, to, to, to think about. Anyway, let's move on. Um, so he then goes on to talk about the, the bomb and its effect, bearing in mind, of course, back in the 1950s, that this was you know, a growing sort of the Cold War and the threat of um, nuclear annihilation. I therefore go even further than C.P. Snow in removing the H-bomb from the centre of the picture. Like him, I am not certain whether if it killed one-third of us, the one-third I belong to, this will be a bad thing for the remainder. Like him, I don't think it will kill us all. But suppose it did. As a Christian, I take it for granted that human history will someday end, and I am offering omniscience no advice as to the best date for that consummation. I am more concerned by what the bomb is doing already. One meets young people who make the threat of it a reason for poisoning every pleasure and evading every duty in the present. Didn't they know that, bomb or no bomb, all men die many in horrible ways. There's no good moping and sulking about it. Wow, once again, uh, all men die and many in horrible ways. There's no good moping and, and sulking about it. And, you know, it's just the way that we respond to fear, to threat. You know, that this, back in the 1950s, of course, there was the threat of nuclear annihilation and that caused many people to live in fear. And C.S. Lewis says... I don't want to live in fear because it, it poisons what what we do in the present. It poisons our enjoyment of life in the here and now. I don't want to live in fear. And I don't think it's worth living in fear over a threat which may never come to pass. And even if it did come to pass, it actually might not be, you know, the end of the world. And, and we know that the world's going to end someday anyway. So just to put put the threat in perspective and saying, I don't want to live like that in the here, you know, to, to live with fear in the now because that will poison everything that life is meant to be about, the enjoyment that life is meant to be about. And, you know, over the last few months, it, it does seem like that's been the way that the government and the media and so on have been conditioning us is, you know, we must only think about one fear. We must only think about one threat, which is that of COVID. You know, don't think about heart disease. Don't think about flu. Don't think about, 
you know, all of the other ways that you could die. Just think about COVID and, and fear that and let that control everything. And, you know, it's, it's been a unique way that we have uh, responded to any disease. And um, and I think, you know, C.S. Lewis would kind of foresaw where this kind of thing was going back in the 1950s. Okay, so the next the next part is he starts talking about science. The first is the advance and increasing application of science. As a means to the ends I care for, this is neutral. We shall grow able to cure and to produce more diseases. Bacterial war, not bombs, might ring down the curtain. To alleviate and to inflict more pains, to husband or to waste the resources of the planets more extensively. We can become either more beneficent or more mischievous. My guess is we shall do both. Mending one thing and marring another. Removing old miseries and producing new ones. Safeguarding ourselves here and endangering ourselves there. Again, this is, I think, really on the money, saying that science is a tool. Science is neutral. With science, you can build a nuclear reactor to power a city. Or you can build a nuclear bomb to destroy a city. But science doesn't give you any value judgments about which one of those is the right course of action. It's just a, a, a tool that we can harness, um, but it doesn't it doesn't bring values to the table. And um, yeah, that that kind of sets up what he's he's going to say later. Um, I also like what he said about bacterial war, which I thought was interesting given some of the um, what's happened with with COVID. Um, and um, you know, did was it a leak? from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Um, well, anyway, uh, let's leave that one for the moment. So then he, he starts talking about the state. Um, and um, yeah, this is fascinating. This is where it starts to get really interesting, I think. The second is the changed relation between government and subjects. Sir Charles mentions our new attitude to crime. I will mention the trainloads of Jews delivered at the German gas chambers. It seems shocking to suggest a common element, but I think one exists. On the humanitarian view, all crime is pathological. It demands not retributive punishment, but cure. This separates the criminal's treatment from the concepts of justice and desert. A just cure is meaningless. On the old view, public opinion might protest against a punishment. It protested against our old penal code as excessive, more than the man deserved, an ethical question on which anyone might have an opinion. But a remedial treatment can be judged only by the probability of its success, a technical question on which only experts can speak. Okay, so this let's just explain what um, I think he's, he's talking about here. He's talking about the view of human beings leading to punishment. So if if you believe that mankind is in the image of God, moral man, then if someone does something wrong, they deserve punishment because they have transgressed. If, on the other hand, you don't believe in God, you don't believe in an absolute right or wrong, you're just trying to guide man towards a particular end. And so punishment is about is remedial. And it's only about trying to correct a course of action and trying to shape and kind of fashion people into a particular avenue. You know, one which is more helpful to society as you define it rather than which is um, detrimental. So you might still need to punish similar things, but the, the goal, the way that you think about it is different. 
And this is a little bit like what we were looking at last week in the new uh, despotism, which is this view of human beings, almost as sort of cattle-like, that you need to train them and shape them, rather than treating them as in the image of God, as um, you know, people who are worthy of persuading and people who are worthy of respect. And punishment is, is a part of that. And he actually wrote more about this in a piece he wrote called The Humanitarian Theory of Punishment. And that's a, an interesting piece which you might like to look up if you're interested in, in this essay. Um, and yeah, what is man? This is just what, I, what I, I think is the key point here. That what does a society think of man? Do you think that the, you know, the, the government... Do the government think they are trying to uh, encourage people into to form a particular vision of society themselves? Or do they think that there is a higher law and they are just kind of simply um, looking after people in the here and now and allowing the higher law to be the law which, which governs? And, you know, and this is this is what I think C.S. Lewis saw coming this idea that the government have started to get the idea that they are in control and they are there to shape society they are there to create the kind of society which we want and this is what he goes on uh, to talk about next in the role of the state let me uh, let me quote again this would be no more than an extreme application of the political philosophy implicit in most modern communities it has stolen on us unawares Two wars necessitated vast curtailments of liberty, and we have grown, though grumblingly, accustomed to our chains. The increasing complexity and precariousness of our economic life have forced government to take over many spheres of activity, once left to choice or chance. Our intellectuals have surrendered first to the slave philosophy of Hegel, then to Marx, finally to the linguistic analysts. As a result, classical political theory with its stoical, Christian and juristic key conceptions, natural law, the value of the individual, the rights of man, has died. The modern state exists not to protect our rights, but to do us good or make us good. Anyway, to do something to us or make us something. Hence the new name, leaders, for those who were once rulers. We are less their subjects than their wards, pupils or domestic animals. There is nothing left of which we can say to them, mind your own business. Our whole lives are their business. I mean, what an, what an insightful couple of paragraphs there. The foresight, I think, is incredible. Um, we've become accustomed to our chains. I think that's exactly what's happened to us. I think this is why people have just accepted the lockdowns that the government have said to us, that you need to stay in, not even seeing your closest family, because otherwise it will it will overwhelm the NHS. And people have said, oh, okay. Well, if it's necessary, if you say it's necessary, then we will. And, you know, I just think that's, that is becoming accustomed to our chains. I think that's an example of it. Um, but, um, yeah, what I really wanted to talk about was the, um, the modern state exists not to protect our rights, but to do us good or make us good. I think it's that, that view of human beings, isn't it? It's not seeing people as a... Um, as freeborn, as people to to live lives under God, which are productive and free and and happy and kind of, which has their version of you know what they believe God wants them to do with their lives, you know that to to fulfil that part in society which they believe God has called them to, but actually it's um, you know 
that the state thinks, well, we can shape society. We need to to form this lump of clay, the people, into something. And, you know, so we can see an issue such as COVID or climate change, we'll come on to that. And um, so what we need to do is shape these people so that we can defeat this. So the state will, you know, mould this, the people, the lump of clay, um, as, you know, we, as it says, we are wards or pupils or domestic animals, whatever, and they will, they will fix it by shaping us. And we can't say to them, mind your own business, because everything in our lives now is their business, because they have a, they, they believe they are forming a higher purpose, doing something more than just our, our own kind of individual lives. Um, he goes on, I believe a man is happier and happy in a richer way if he has the freeborn mind, but I doubt whether he can have this without economic independence, which the new society is abolishing. For economic independence allows an education not controlled by government, and in adult life it is the man who needs and asks nothing of government who can criticise its acts and snap his fingers at its ideology. Read Montaigne. That's the voice of a man with his legs under his own table, eating the mutton and turnips raised on his own land. Who will talk like that when the state is everyone's schoolmaster and employer? Admittedly, when man was untamed, such liberty belonged only to the few. I know. Hence the horrible suspicion that our only choice is between societies with few free men and societies with none. Okay, another fascinating uh, paragraph here. But, you know, saying that I believe a man is happy when he has the freeborn mind, I completely agree with that. Um, and he talks about economic independence. And it made me think, you know, a realisation which I've only come to in the last 18 months is just how much the state has been there as part of my life. You know, I was born in an NHS hospital. I've been treated by NHS doctors. I have uh, been educated by a state school. You know, the state provides everything. And it is, you know, the state is in a sense, it's kind of central, has been central to my life as I've grown up. And it's it's just what I've known. It's just normal. And, you know, why should this be be the case? What is it that they're, they're trying to do? And he talks about the state is everyone's schoolmaster and employer. And, you know, the state, kind of every road goes back to the state now, doesn't it? In a way that um, in 1958, you know, perhaps these things were beginning. But this has come to pass in a, a way which uh, I think C.S. Lewis just saw the beginnings of. Um, and as they say, you know, you don't bite the hand that feeds you. And this is why that if the state provide, if they're your schoolmaster, if they're your employer, you know, you don't question. And I think, again, this is why a lot of people, especially younger people, have not questioned uh, the, the lockdowns and so on. Because it's just this this constant kind of, you know, the state says you must do this, you must do that. They feed you, they employ you and so on. And, you know, there isn't that independence. And that's especially true, I think, of the scientific establishment, as we've already looked at in videos about science. The scientific establishment is sort of in hoc to the state with government grants and funding um, and, and so on. And positions also, like, like in SAGE, positions at the table of power. So it's all yeah just exactly like like lewis says um and then he goes on to talk about the role of science so let me quote again 
Again, the new oligarchy must more and more base its claim to plan us on its claim to knowledge. If we are to be mothered, mother must know best. This means they must increasingly rely on the advice of scientists, till in the end the politicians proper become merely the scientists' puppets. Technocracy is the form to which a planned society must tend. Now I dread specialists in power, because they are specialists speaking outside their special subjects. Let scientists tell us about sciences, but government involves questions about the good for man and justice, and what things are worth having at what price. And on these, scientific training gives a man's opinion no added value. Let the doctor tell me I shall die unless I do so and so, but whether life is worth having on those terms is no more a question for him than for any other man. Again, wow, you know, this is just, just exactly what's happened, isn't it? This kind of technocratic approach to government saying, well, mother must know best. If the if the government are there to kind of plan a society in the way that it wants, then they're going to have to base it on knowledge. They're going to have to base it on science and experts. And this is exactly what's happened. And as Lewis says, scientists have one particular remit, which is to understand um, the natural world, understand the world, uh, looking at the data, looking at what's actually there. But that doesn't mean that they... Uh, that gives them a special insight into what's good or best for mankind. And as we already saw, uh, science is kind of neutral. You know, you can use it to build a nuclear reactor. You can use it to build a bomb. Science does not give a special insight into what's best. If it was possible, for example, to, to make someone live for 200 years, but in order to do that, they had to stop doing everything that made life worth living, would that be a right thing to do? Should the government say, well, we want you to all to live to 200 years, so stop doing all of the things that make life worth doing and take this, instead of eating, you know, food that you enjoy, take this tablet, which just, you know, will, will work, but only if you don't eat chocolate and all of the other kind of lovely foods which, which you enjoy. Is that worth doing? Well, that's not a question for scientists to answer. They might produce the tablet, but that's not a question for them to answer whether that's worth doing. And um, he goes on to talk about how science has started to kind of supplant um, the religious role in society. So let me quote once again. Thirdly, I do not like the pretensions of government, the grounds on which it demands my obedience, to be pitched too high. I don't like the medicine man's magical pretensions, nor the Bourbon's divine right. This is not solely because I disbelieve in magic and in Bousseau's uh, politique. I believe in God but I detest theocracy, for every government consists of mere men and is, strictly viewed, a makeshift. If it adds to its commands, thus saith the Lord, it lies, and lies dangerously. On just the same ground I dread government in the name of science. That is how tyrannies come in. In every age the men who want us under their thumb, if they have any sense, will put forward the particular pretension which the hopes and fears of that age render most potent they cash in. It has been magic, it has been Christianity. Now it will certainly be science. Perhaps the real scientists may not think much of the tyrant science, they didn't think much of Hitler's racial theories or Stalin's biology, but they can be muzzled. Okay, again, another astonishingly uh, insightful couple of paragraphs, I think. Um, saying that, you know, in the past, 
uh, we've had this kind of theocracy of, well, thus saith the Lord, you should do this, you should do that. This comes not from men, but from God. But as as Lewis says, every government is a makeshift. In a sense, it's only there just to manage the people of the day under God. And that um, if it adds, thus saith the Lord, to its commands, then that's a very dangerous place for a government to be. And particularly when it comes to science, he says every tyranny comes in because they they come in and they say we can solve your problems whatever worst problems that you have and perhaps lately it's been the fear of death and they say oh we can solve that just you know let science be our guide you know here's stay at home there's that's what the science says socially distance wear a mask and take the vaccine and that will solve your problems and um and that that's in a sense a, a tyranny of science um that you know the way that it's been it's been done not saying that those things are necessarily bad in themselves you know have to evaluate the evidence for each one but the way it's been presented i think is very religious and like this kind of thus saith the lord really um and then i think this as he comes to towards the end here i think we're getting towards um something which uh yeah i think is very prescient very relevant to what's happening at the moment in 2021 it starts talking about a world welfare state so let me quote you a couple of paragraphs here we must give full weight to sir charles's reminder that millions in the east are still half starved to these my fears would seem very unimportant a hungry man thinks about food not freedom we must give full weight to the claim that nothing but science and science globally applied and therefore unprecedented government controls, can produce full bellies and medical care for the whole human race. Nothing, in short, but a world welfare state. It is a full admission of these truths which impresses upon me the extreme peril of humanity at present. We have, on the one hand, a desperate need, hunger, sickness and the dread of war. We have, on the other, the conception of something that might meet it, omnicompetent global technocracy. Are not these the ideal opportunity for enslavement? This is how it has entered before. A desperate need, real or apparent, in the one party. A power, real or apparent, to relieve it in the other. In the ancient world, individuals have sold themselves as slaves in order to eat. So in society. Here is a witch doctor who can save us from the sorcerers. A warlord who can save us from the barbarians. A church that can save us from hell. Give them what they ask. Give, the, give ourselves to them, bound and blindfold, if only they will. Perhaps the terrible bargain will be made again. We cannot blame men for making it. We can hardly wish them not to. Yet we can hardly bear that they should. Look at this. This is saying that there's a terrible problem. If you trust us, the omnicompetent uh, global technocracy, we will solve the problem for you. We will manage it. We will solve this problem just trust us. Give your souls to us and we will do it. Astonishing, isn't it? And it really made me think of what's happening COP26 at the moment, you know, where you've got these these nations, the, the UN, who are coming together to solve the problem or come together to see how we can solve the problem of climate change. And in order to do that, all we have to do is hand over all of our freedoms to them and, you know, they will say, oh, you can install not install a gas boiler, you have a, a heat pump. Don't drive a petrol car, drive an electric car. Don't walk around too much, don't fly around too much. All of that kind of thing. 
and um, you know our lives are controlled in order to solve this problem which they the omnicompetent global technocracy have the power to solve but there is a sting in the tail and this is the final the final bit that i'm going to uh, to quote this is the end of the essay the question about progress has become the question whether we can discover any way of submitting to the world by paternalism of a technocracy without losing all personal privacy and independence is there any possibility of getting the super welfare state's honey and avoiding the sting. Let us make no mistake about the sting. The Swedish sadness is only a foretaste. To live his life in his own way, to call his house his castle, to enjoy the fruits of his own labour, to educate his children as his conscience directs, to save for their prosperity after his death, these are wishes deeply ingrained in civilised man. Their realisation is almost as necessary to our virtues as to our happiness. From their total frustration, disastrous results, both moral and psychological, might follow. All this threatens us, even if the form of society which our needs point to should prove an unparalleled success. But is that certain? What assurance have we that our masters will or can keep the promise which induced us to sell ourselves? Let us not be deceived by phrases about man taking charge of his own destiny, all that can really happen is that some men will take charge of the destiny of others. They will be simply men, none perfect, some greedy, cruel and dishonest. The more completely we are planned, the more powerful they will be. Have we discovered some new reason why, this time, power should not corrupt as it has done before? That's a really powerful end to the essay. And what Lewis says is that you know we have this desire for freedom and that it's important, you know, that... It, if we we if our freedom is frustrated then it could be disastrous morally and psychologically even if this new form of society is a complete success he says but will that be the case and this is where he leaves us he says can we trust the people to which we're handing the reins over to can we trust these people now will it not be um instead some men planning others while you know at the same time enjoying the fruits of it this is why communism always failed there's a brilliant cartoon by matt and if you're listening on the podcast i apologize that you won't be able to see it but it's um just got a plane with a leaving a trail which says net zero and someone is looking up the, the caption is the world leaders are writing pledges with their private jets and this is the thing you know cop 26 the hypocrisy of it is astonishing you know that all of these leaders flying in private jets and, you know, I saw Joe Biden's motorcade with however many cars that he had. It's incredible. And this is what they're doing. It's, you know, planning our futures while at the same time not subjecting themselves to the same things that they're asking everyone else to do. And and that's just a little taste, I think, of what is to come um, unless things change. So let's uh, summarise what uh, what Lewis was saying says the new oligarchy this new kind of ruling elite um however you want to put it it promises big to protect us from uh, from covid19 to eliminate climate change and and so on the promise of science but in order to do that we have to hand our freedoms over to the state you know we we're saying we as human beings we must be managed we can't manage it ourselves we must be managed the state becomes our mother and can we avoid the sting in the tail? 
uh, will it end up with some men taking advantage of others? Now, in other words, will it end up with one rule for them and another rule for us, the plebs? Um, really important. Now, how can we respond to this biblically? This is the final thing that I wanted to, to say. Um, there are just a couple of points that I wanted to make uh, on this. The first one is that the state is limited by God. This is what it says in Romans 13 verse 4. The one in authority is God's servant for your good. Now, Romans 13 has been misused a lot over the last um, few months, I think, by, by well-meaning Christians who just want to, uh, you know, say that we should just submit to the state, whatever. But um, actually, that what I think Paul's argument is that the, the state has been put there by God for his purposes. And if the state start to assume a role which they is is beyond the remit of their authority, their sphere of sovereignty, then that is wrong and, and they should be limited. And that's the point. Um, so the state should never have unfettered power and should never have authority over every area of our lives. The second thing, as the expression goes, power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And um, this is very I mean, that's not a quotation from the Bible, but it's very consonant with the, the biblical idea. As it says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That all of us are falling short of God's, uh, the, way, what, the way that God wants us to live. And that if you give unfettered power to any individual or even a government without proper accountability, then you will see it will be disaster in the long run because they will start going off and doing things which are wrong because they they'll get ideas and they may he may even be well-meaning but the power will go to their heads and it will not end well if you'd like to see a really good video about about this then um, the irreverent podcast yesterday 3rd of november 2021 was um, with Dr. Joe Boot, which is what is the proper relationship between church and state. I think it was an, an extra uh, irreverent podcast. If you haven't watched that, I can really highly recommend it. It's, um, yeah, I think Joe Boot is, you know, as I'm kind of um, doing doing these things, doing these podcasts, I'm kind of thinking through um, a lot of these issues. But Joe Boot is sort of founded the uh, the Ezra Institute and has got, you know, has really kind of thought through and worked out about the Christian um, relationship to uh, the government and the state and, you know, how the church should fit in with that. Um, much more thought, kind of thought through. And, um, you know, there's lots of really good information in that. And he's sort of writing or speaking from a Canadian context. Um, and obviously they've gone further down the COVID road at the moment than we have. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that's really, um, that's really a really worthwhile thing if you appreciate this i'm sure you definitely enjoy that so that's just my recommendation so yeah i think um c.s lewis this essay is progress possible do have a read of it again after this and i hope that it's inspired you to think about things which are happening in our society and just be you know astonished at how someone back 60 odd years ago could see a lot of this kind of stuff coming and, and happening um, so we just got one more thing to do before the end of the podcast, which is to a little short biblical thought, especially with relation to COP26. Mm-hmm. 
So the biblical thought today is based on what Justin Welby said at COP26 about um, the, the leaders being cursed or be, you know, it being a curse if they didn't come to a common mind about climate change. And it made me think about you know, the, the biblical idea of being cursed because I think actually the, the opposite is true really um, when it comes to when it comes to, to climate change, not the opposite is true, but it's, it's a just a complete change of thinking that's needed. So what I was thinking of was verses like this in the Bible. This is Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 and 6. And this is where the word cursed is actually used. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands, they will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. So this is saying to be cursed is when we, when we turn away from God and when we draw strength from, as it says, mere flesh. When we put strength in human, uh, human strength. A bit confidence in human strength, sorry. And... Um, and, and when we turn away from God and you think about COP26, you know, where is the mention of God in this? Where is the mention of God in the way that our governments and in the way that our, our leaders and the media are trying to, to solve the problem? You know, if climate change is the biggest problem that we've ever faced, then why is it that no one is saying, well, we should turn to God about this? And I think this is this is just the heart of the issue of what's happening in the Church of England and many churches around the world. It's this this trying to solve problems with human means, with um, mere flesh, turning away from the Lord, and instead just trying to to use a human solution. And it says you know, that person would be like a bush in the wastelands, and it's kind of like the disaster which climate change is promising to be. No, it's saying, actually, if we turn away from God, then we will face the disaster. And it, it, it really made me think that, you know, this, whatever's happening at COP26, the real disaster will be if we go down this road of doing everything to, to try and avert this disaster without seeking God and his will. You know, because actually that will be a disaster if we go, go down that road. But what will be blessing is... As Jeremiah 17 goes on to say, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Again, I think that's so relevant to climate change, isn't it? Um, who does not fear when heat comes. Um, and uh, Yes, I know that it was sort of intended in a more you know a metaphorical a sort of symbolic sense but I, I think it still it really struck me you know that when we trust in the Lord then we can face our problems with confidence but when we try, turn away from him or when we turn to these kind of human entirely human solutions that's when we we can't manage it is the curse and that's the challenge really that I think we as a society we We've been a, a Christian society for a very long time. I mean, the the best part of a thousand years. Um, and it's it's all been thrown away. 
we know that our leaders have turned away from God. They don't care about God anymore. All they're interested in is trying to fight the, you know, climate change on their own strength and maybe trying to look good and say, well, we've achieved all of this on our own strength. Aren't we bright? Aren't we great? It's like Babel all over again, actually. Build back Babel, um, as you might say. But but actually, that's to be cursed by God, to turn away from him, not to look for his solutions, not to look for his truth. But actually, it's we're blessed if we trust in him. And and that's actually true of, you know, even if it does feel at the moment like, you know, those who, who trust, whose hearts trust in the Lord are not being listened to in government at the moment, are not, are being, you know, marginalised in society that actually we can still be confident and that, you know, God will keep us through it. We will be like that, that tree planted by water and, you know, which always bearing fruit, you know, even in times of, of drought, even in, it may seem like this is a, a season of drought at the moment, but we can still be confident in God, but we will st- still bear fruit for him. And perhaps you see that in your own life as well, just as you're trying to talk to people about God, trying to talk about Jesus or thinking about him, trying to do what's right then people notice and people are willing to listen and talk and and that's how the world changes you know not by the you know the executive decree of a, a government who's trying to plan a society but in just small acts of love of kindness of you know speaking about god speaking about jesus that's how the world changes at the end of the day and we can be confident blessed is the one who trusts in the lord and whose confidence is in him Let's put our confidence not in ourselves or in our, our leaders, but in God, in the Lord, and uh, and enjoy the blessing of being being in him. Well, let's uh, let's finish with a prayer. And thank you for bearing with me. Um, I'm sorry if that the explanation of, of C.S. Lewis, it went on a little bit longer than I was uh, hoping. Um, but I hope that, you know, it's such a fascinating and interesting uh, essay. And uh, yeah, I, I just like to to close us with a prayer as we as we finish heavenly father we thank you that uh, you are a god who we can have confidence in and we pray that you would help us to have confidence in you to draw our strength from you not to turn away from you and look to mere flesh as jeremiah says but that we would put our confidence in you and always be bearing fruit for you even in small ways in our communities, in our relationships. We pray that you would be bringing about um, a change in our world through these small acts of love that we can manage. And we pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us uh, to trust in you this week. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks everyone for joining me for episode 10 of Sacred Musings. Uh, if you'd like to express your appreciation in a financial way, there's a buy me a coffee link down below. Um, but I really appreciate all of your support, the comments, the lovely, you know, nice things people have said. And, you know, if you disagree as well, that's fine too. And you can do that in the comments. This is not meant to be the last word on the subject. And if you're on YouTube, don't forget the liking and all the youtube things, subscribing and, and the like. Um, yeah so thanks so much anyway for joining me and i hope to see you again next week um and don't forget i'm the revelation series is very nearly finished just one more of those left to do before we'll finish that so um yeah do have a watch through if you you're interested in that there's some really good stuff in revelation thanks so much everyone and uh, god bless